Well, good Saturday morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we would sure like to hear from you if you're not in our area code. So if you will put a 225 in front of that 291-6901, you can reach us live and in person right now in the Central Time Zone. There it is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> in the 225 area code. Of course, if you're in Baton Rouge, you just dial the number. That's all you got to do. You don't even have to worry about all that. That's it. Foolishness. <laughs> uh, seems like with all the modern technology and stuff, they'd be a way better than having to dial those 15, 20, 30 different numbers. Oh, I know it, isn't it? To get where you want to go, but I guess not. I guess here actually, we are in 2015. I mean, it, it right. beats what it used to be. Oh, You'd yeah. call the operator and she'd plug you into a different line. Well, and you used to have to call the post office. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it's not too bad. <laughs> it <laughs> works. That's right. It works. Give us a call, 291 6901. At least you ain't got to pay for it. Like, That's it. You yeah, used mo- to have to most, pay for it. Yeah, most of your cellular phones have free long distance now. So, right. Uh, or at least a lot of them do. Right. Well, I remember, boy, you used to call long distance, like, hey, this is long distance. <laughs> <laughs> talking like a guy on the back of the yeah, on that last commercial. financial uh, claimers. We used to talk in code. That's right. We're calling to ask for ourselves. And, oh, yeah, we used to do all kinds of stuff all like that, that to beat like, it. Like as if the phone company didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give us a call. 291-6901 is the number. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. I was on the way in to the show this morning, uh-huh. and I happened to get behind a Ford, looks like a F-150, and guy had it just jacked up sky high, right. big old wheels and tires, offset wheels, and I'm watching, and he is apparently having some amount of trouble maintaining this vehicle, because he's kind of wobbling all over the road, and at some point, I saw he went into like a little death wobble, <laughs> Still, I could see the wheels shaking, I could yeah. see he slowed down and tried to get it back under control and all that, and that was one of the things I wanted to try to talk about today. Okay. Is back in the day, you know, when you and I were young whoopersnappers, I guess. Right. It was pretty common to buy an old car, and then you'd modify it to sure. meet your desires. Whatever, yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah. And that was kind of fun, and it was more or less cost-effective and one thing or another. But with more modern vehicles, that is almost getting to be a... I guess something you just can't do. You uh-huh. just really can't do a whole lot of modifications to these vehicles. Not feasibly. Not feasibly. I mean, if you've got just a ton of money, you don't mind doing a whole lot of work, you can do the work yourself, and you know what you're getting into, mm-hmm. then that's fine. That's If you enjoy doing that, then that's great. You can go ahead and try to do a few things. But the cars today are so precisely engineered, right. for the most part, that when you change any one thing, you're going to change a number of other things sure. that you don't want. It's, uh, the old saying, when you get what you want, you also get all the things you don't want. <laughs> and I found that out pretty quick, I guess, when I was a young guy. I had a little Chevy Nova that I wanted to go faster, so the first thing I did, I went and got a cam. Right. And we, I changed the camshaft in it. Well, it went faster. But I noticed that now the carburetor couldn't keep up, so I put a carburetor. Well, now the exhaust couldn't keep up, so I put headers on it. Uh-huh. Well, I managed to make a good deal more horsepower, but I learned the first important lesson about engineering. Right. I tore the rear end up. <laughs> <laughs> tear up the weakest link. That's right, because that vehicle was engineered to have a certain amount of horsepower. Correct. And when I pretty much drastically increased that, the next weakest link, which was the rear differential, 
just went grenade. Sure. Well, right. So you've got a rear end out of something yeah, else. Yeah, went and got a rear end out of another car. Cut the purchase off, welded it back together, put it in there, got right. it going. Hey, everything's it great. held up. Yeah, wham. Bust there goes the drive cam. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Fixed drive cam. Wham. There with the transmission. Right. And what I learned was that when you make a change to a system, because a vehicle is a system, it's sure. an engineered thing, and each component on that system is, is engineered to work with every other part. That's correct. And when you change one part, you're going to vastly affect all the other parts. Now, back in the 1960s when I was doing this, cars were pretty much over-engineered. They take a half-ton pickup, half-ton is 1,000 pounds, but those trucks could pretty much haul 3,000 pounds, and you really weren't going to have much problem with right. it. They were really over-engineered, and I think part of that was because engineering had not matured quite to the point it is now where they can just really split hairs. And so they feel, well, we can't absolutely perfectly engineer this, so we're going to lean a little bit towards the toward the overbuilt side. Overbuilt side. So we'll over-design this slightly. And folks got real used to that. Oh, yeah. Buy a half-ton truck. You thought nothing of sticking two tons of weight in it. I mean, if you figure a sack of cement weighs, what, 80? 60 to 80, 80 pounds, 80 depending pounds. on. Yeah, you throw um, 20 sacks of cement, now you're 1,600 pounds, right. which is way over half a ton. And not too many people would think twice about throwing 20 sacks of cement in their truck. Mm-hmm. But you're probably 60% overloaded at that point. Now, on more modern vehicles, what they have done is they have figured out that people are paying for a half-ton truck, and the vast majority of them are probably not going to see that. Guy's going to work and back in this truck. He's not really using it like a truck, because back in the day, form, when, farmers... Right. When you bought a truck, you used it as a truck. Yeah, carpenters and guys like that. And, of course, those guys still buy trucks, but sure. the average person mm-hmm. didn't really own a pickup truck. And most of the people who are using trucks today are really not using them as a truck. They mm-hmm. use them because they like it, and occasionally they want to haul something. Like myself, I've got a half-ton pickup, and I go back and forth to work in it. Occasionally, I'll put a little something in it and haul it, but I never exceed the half-ton. Right. So they said, well, if folks are using it this way, we're leaving a lot of money on the table here by over-designing these trucks. Sure. So they started cutting them back. And they didn't do this overnight. but No, they did it over a generation or so. Yeah, over the years, they've gotten lighter and lighter and lighter to where a half-ton truck today is basically designed to haul a Mm half-ton, which is 1,000 pounds. Right. So if you start to overload that, you are going to have some ramifications. Maybe not immediately, but there will be ramifications. For instance, you start throwing a ton of weight in it. Or let's say what's more common, you get a little travel trailer, and it weighs maybe eight nine thousand pounds right and you throw it behind a half ton pickup well that half ton truck will pull it down the road sure no question it's got enough power it will pull it down the road however what you're going to notice is you're going to cut the life of the transmission cut the life of the differential probably in half Mm -hmm. because it's overloaded and when it's overloaded that doesn't mean it's going to break the first time you haul something but it's going to sustain some damage things are going to start to be pushed apart Load is exerted on bearings that really are not designed to carry it. The teeth on the gears are going to start to brindle up because they're not designed for that. The transmission clutches may slip just slightly. A lot of things are going to start to occur. And as you go on, you're going to have a failure. One of the first things you may notice, if whatever you're towing does not have trailer brakes on it, is you're probably going to warp the brake rotors. Sure, because now you're trying to stop all that weight with the vehicle that just is designed to stop itself. That's right. It's designed to stop maybe three or 4,000 pounds, which is what it weighs, plus the cargo that it's supposed to have. Mm -hmm. And when you start to try to stop six or 7,000 pounds, you're probably 50% over its capacity. 
And so you're going to warp the rotors. And warp rotors are generally a sign of something else. Correct. We've exceeded some parameter that the vehicle was designed to do. So that's just one facet. Now, another is when you go and you change the height of a vehicle, which used to be real common, and we still sure. see some, and like that was the problem with this vehicle this morning, is you had a jacked-up sky high and a big old set of tires on it. Right. Well, admittedly, it looks real cool, but what happens is that when you start to change all those suspension angles, they are designed to run at a certain angle. Correct. And we've got little gizmos in there called ball joints and tie rods and such as that. Which allow components to turn. They allow to turn and pivot. Right, and they're designed to run in a certain plane. That's right. They've got a range over which they can operate. That range may be 15 degrees or so. When the vehicle is designed at stock, that ball and socket is sitting pretty much in the center of its travel. Correct. So when you hit a dip in the road, it may travel to one extreme. When you hit a jounce in the road it may travel up to the opposite extreme but it stays pretty much within that range Mm -hmm. now what happens is when you go in and raise the suspension now or lower or lower the suspension either way because the same thing right now these joints are sitting maybe at 10 12 degrees already Uh uh-huh they're all the way to one side it's sort of like if you take your arm and you hold it down by your leg you can move it up a certain distance you can move it back a certain distance right but if you start out with it all the way as far as it'll go back and then somebody comes along, grabs it, and pulls it a little further. Exactly. You're going to experience some discomfort there. <laughs> and if you keep doing it or you go far enough, you're going to experience some it. severe damage. You right. know, you're going to tear up your rotator cup or break the joint or whatever. Same exact thing with a ball joint because a ball joint is basically patented off of a shoulder or a hip joint. Mm-hmm. It's it a off ball in a socket. Yeah, they copied it off the human design. It's designed to work over a certain amount of range. And when you start to exceed that range, you are going to drastically increase the wear and tear on these parts. So what happens is you go in, you jack the truck up so the big tires and wheels will fit on it. Well, now you got about 30,000 miles. It starts to shake, and you bring it to the shop, and all the ball joints and tie rods are worn out. Jeez, why this happen? So the first thing most people, I'll get some heavier-duty tire uh-huh. rods and ball joints. Well, that does absolutely no good because no matter how heavy they are, if they're traveling beyond their intended range, right. they're going to tear up. So right around the second set, well, and I'll just get a suspension lift. Okay, well, now you've totally modified everything. Now the drive axles, the drive shaft, everything else is running at an improper angle. So you start, start to tear up. all those things up. Right. Not only that, but when the drive shaft starts to tear the u-joints up it picks up a vibration normally you don't know where the vibration is coming from so you go get the tires bounce smell stuff you get frustrated and decide you're just gonna live with it until it starts puking all out the back of the transmission because beat the bushing up the back of the transmission or the rear end starts to whine because it's torn the pinion bearings up on the rear end mm-hmm. the point is when you started to modify this vehicle unless you have the wherewithal to go in and totally engineer the vehicle to run in a different plane which most people do not have right I mean, when you see, like, these Bigfoots and all that stuff, that vehicle has been 100% totally re-engineered. There's nothing on that vehicle that is stock. They've changed the differentials. They have changed the transmission. They have changed the chassis. They have changed every bit of suspension. That vehicle is designed from the ground up, and a body that looks something like the original is sat on top of it. Exactly. <laughs> but that is folks who have hundreds of thousands of dollars and a whole lot of engineering engineering background and money and what have you to go in and totally engineer a vehicle folks see and they think it looks cool i want to make mine look kind of like that well that's where you go so far wrong because when you start to change you got to remember it's kind of like letting the genie out of the bottle when you start to make these changes you've changed a whole lot of other things 
So it's not going to be, okay, I'm going to make these changes and everything's going to be great. Right. How many times a week do we get someone coming in and they say, man, I got a shake in my truck. Can't get it out. Can't get it out. I've had my tires bounced. I put new tires. I've brought it to this guy, brought it to that guy. We changed the shocks. We changed this. We changed that. And it's still shaking. First thing you look at it and it's been highly modified. You, tell, you can't get it out. Right. What do you mean? Well, you can't get it out. You've changed we, the design of the vehicle. You can put it back the way it was designed, right. and you can probably get rid of it. Or if you want to go to step B, you can spend about a hundred grand, totally re-engineer a truck, and make it run it the height you got it. There you go. <laughs> but there's not going to be anything in between. It's not like the old days where you just go down and get some mag wheels from XYZ Auto Parts, throw them on a car, and everything. Right, everything good. was all right. It just doesn't work that way. Wheels today are designed; they're machined from the center out. And they're designed to fit one vehicle. Mm-hmm. And that's why they cost so much is because they are custom designed to fit a single vehicle. Right. Hey, we got to take a quick little break. We'll be back with more of this and a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hey, Lewis Alzan, Magco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. Got all our lines open. Be glad to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. Right now is a great time to call, too. We got time to get you a real in-depth answer. answer. <laughs> That's right. And we were talking about vehicle modifications and some of the reasons you might want to think twice before uh-huh. you start to modify your vehicle. And one of the things we were talking about was wheels and you know, if you ever price an OEM wheel, original equipment manufacturer right. wheel, some of those are seven, eight hundred dollars. That's right, Anywhere for one wheel, probably two, two hundred up to seven or eight hundred dollars. And the reason they are is because that is a highly, highly precise assembly. It's forged from a block of aluminum and then machined from the center hole out, which Correct. makes it perfectly true. It's got hardened inserts where the lugs go. It runs true. It is a good quality product. Now, when you go and buy these custom wheels, they cost a hundred dollars a piece. That's what you're getting. Yeah. You don't always get what you pay for, but I guarantee you never, never get, get more, more than you pay, pay for. for. That's right. <laughs> so you got to watch that. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. Let's take a couple of our phone calls. Okay. We've got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Talking about your U-joints there on your drive shaft. Yes, you sir. see a lot of these four-wheel drives. they got the rear end tilted where it's a straight shot at the transmission, mm-hmm. and then they got a 90-degree turn going into the transmission. <laughs> yes, sir. Yep. And you you got to keep them planes parallel. You can move them left to right, up and down, they and all that. They have to equal each other, and also they have to have a slight angle on them. You don't ever right. want it pointing straight no. ahead. 
straight as perfect line, but it'll, it'll wobble. Well, it'll tear up because right. it'll sling, it has it'll to sling. rotate. The joint, the little bit of angle makes the rollers rotate. And yeah, if they we, don't rotate, they won't lubricate. Well, not only that, when you pitch that front of that differential up, you run all the oil to the back of the That's gearbox. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't get up to lubricate the front bearing, and you start eating up rear ends. Yeah, right. can't can't figure, people can't figure out why. Yeah. yeah. We had gobs of U-joints at the paper mill running uh-huh. every kind of thing. He oh, could, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. It but is he, an entire science just to that. Yeah, if you put a sprocket, if you could put a sprocket on a U-joint like that, it's mm-hmm. one that's coming up, the shaft coming up, and then the one coming out of the transmission, mm-hmm. and put you like an old playing card like you do on your, used to do on your bicycle. Mm-hmm. Them things, one of them will speed up and slow down. That's right. Yeah. Actually, people don't realize that, but they do. They speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down as they go through their cycle. And they need to go in and out a little bit. Uh-huh. Right. right. That's right. It's moving all over the place. So there's a guy down the street I've been dying to tell him, but I hate to into his business. You know? That's right. That's right. You'll figure it out sooner or later. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll let y'all go. All right, Herb. Thanks, Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to call the automotive, we would absolutely love to have you. We're going back to our phone lines with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I've got a 300DX86 model. Okay. And I think I'm losing, when I accelerate real hard, mm-hmm. my air conditioner starts blowing warm. Okay. okay. I think I'm losing, like, a vacuum on it. Is that, you know, making the doors do different things in the air conditioning system? It could very well be, Paul. I'm not familiar enough with an 86-300 to tell you exactly how it operates. I'd have to consult service data, but most of the cars in that frame of time did operate with vacuum servos. That was before the days of electronic servos like they use now to use stepper motors. And you kind of gave it away when you accelerate hard and it drops out. That's generally when the engine vacuum is at a minimum. What I would do first off, Paul, is go under the hood and see if you see or hear any kind of a vacuum leak and most of those cars had what they call a vacuum canister right which was like a little ball and what it did because when you accelerate engine vacuum drops away and you have to maintain a certain amount of vacuum to keep those doors open so there was actually a little plastic ball of some sort that stored vacuum to keep enough to where when you accelerate it it would keep the doors and all open because there's a spring on them and they're going to default to one position or the other if vacuum drops out so a lot of times those balls will crack or break or the line will come off of them or maybe it's got a vacuum leak. If you just can't find it, you could take it to someone and they can do what they call a smoke test. That's where they fill the intake with smoke and you can see where the smoke comes out because okay. there's probably a quarter mile of vacuum lines on that thing. And, and oh, there's a lot of them. Yeah, right. finding it on your own can be difficult. But if you just kind of let it sit there and idle slow and listen real careful, you may hear a little, yeah, a little sizzling, hissing noise that the vacuum leak will make. Okay, and, uh, and you say that that ball is on the vacuum canister? Uh, it's somewhere it's in the some, system under right. the hood. I don't know exactly where on that, that okay. old of a model. I they, usually, remember. they usually tuck them away kind of out of the way. Then The vacuum line may go into like a panel and the ball's behind it. Or mm-hmm. I've okay. seen them put them all kind of different places. Yeah, they hide them. Okay. Well, what kind of toss is involved in doing a, a smoke test? Oh, probably uh, not a great deal. I mean, we operate the way we bill at agco we charge by the hour our shop rate is 95 dollars per hour we bill in one tenth of an hour increments so i mean we could find that in an hour or less maybe maybe 15 minutes if we if, the way we do it if we find it 15 minutes we charge you 15 minutes spend a half hour charge a half hour i mean i can't imagine that taking more than an hour I would uh, okay. find, and I would think most shops are going to have some similar thing. you got to watch some places actually have a flat rate, and if they find it in five minutes, they still charge you the full rate. I don't like that. I prefer to pay my share, but you know I don't want to pay extra. <laughs> right, I understand. Well, I do appreciate your right. time on that, and uh, we'll move forward. On. All righty, man. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Right. Mm, bye-bye. Bye. 
Alright, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. We'd love to have you. That was very common back in the day with all sure. the vacuum systems and always liked the vacuum system. Number one, vacuum was free because it was already there. They uh-huh. were just producing a vacuum. So it was very simple to just run a couple little plastic lines. Right. Before that, it was cables. Right. You vacuum, had a cable and a lever you moved right. to move vacuum the doors. servos are fairly inexpensive and it just didn't give much trouble. No, it didn't. Now they've gone to all these electronic servos with stepper motors and they constantly seem to give problems i know we had a avalanche in right. the other day and we had to pull the dash because it had been in an accident and something was damaged and the guy says we'll go ahead and change all the servos yeah right yeah like, until he figured out what they cost well 286 bucks a piece and there's four of them <laughs> and there's four of them yeah and we were lucky we found some at a little bit lower cost than that through ac delco rather than going through gm with it uh-huh. but still in all it was a fairly significant chunk of change sure for something that fails a whole lot yeah i mean we've, we've actually taken dash pads out just to change those servos oh yeah which is also a big expense oh yeah going back to the phone line with steve good morning steve good morning yes sir good morning Uh, gentlemen i've got a 2005 f-250 diesel six liter Mm -hmm. four pickup okay got an issue that when the engine is cold and i'm accelerating up to a highway speed Mm -hmm. that's not on street speed but it's a highway speed Mm -hmm. i get it's almost like the old spark plug missing yeah you got no power Right. I tell, you, I tell you right now, Steve, by a huge, huge margin, the most likely cause of that is you got a bunch of injectors starting to go out. The right. six liter was absolutely notorious for that. And as you probably already know, many, many, many other problems. Now, after it warms up, it runs fine. Yeah, once it warms up, it, it runs fine. Yes, but, sir. Right. That's a huge repair. Normally, you end up changing all the injectors to fix that. And I can't guarantee you that's what it is, but that is so, so Just common. common. I mean, there are entire shops out there that work on nothing but six-liter Ford diesels, and they make a living. That was a very, very problematic engine. I mean, they had nothing but trouble with the six-liter. They dropped it and went to the six-four, and they had as much trouble with the six-four. They dropped that and went to the new engine. And I don't know if it's any better or not, but how long have you had the truck? I bought the truck used, and I've had it about three years. Yeah. No, no big repairs yet? No, sir. Man, you've had a blessed existence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those engines are just notorious for the injectors going out, what they call the FICM module, the fuel injection control module going out, the head gaskets blowing. I mean, just go on the internet and type in six liter Ford diesel problem, and you're going to have probably 100,000 people complaining about the different things that go wrong with it. But almost every time that lack of power when it's cold and you give it the gas and it doesn't want to go and all that, it's almost always the injectors. What kind of huge, cost you think huge, that is? Five yeah. grand. It's what again? Five thousand bucks. Five thousand. Oh, yeah, wow. Huge. <laughs> it's a major deal. The parts are expensive. There's a lot of labor involved. Yeah. I mean it, it's up there. It's a major deal. And I tell you I've seen people go in and change one or two and you can do that if you find one or two's bad, but the rest of them are gonna probably follow close suit right they've all been down the same road i mean yeah. same amount of time on them the same amount of fuel through them yep best thing to do is go get it good and warmed up take it down for doing straight <laughs> <in. laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, no, well. normally it runs fine when it warmed up but eventually right. it'll get to where it doesn't run at all Okay. Good news, huh? <laughs> Not really, but hey, it is what it is. Well, at least yeah. you know. Yeah, but go on the internet and just type in six liter Ford fuel injector, and you're gonna see a hundred thousand people in there complaining about that problem. All right. All righty. Well, I don't know if they thank you or cry. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. All right, Steve. All right. Thanks, man. Bye bye. Take care. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is a number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, 
Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Don't! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. There's a lot behind it, but I can't keep punching with a victory hey, crew when you're back. making me punch you with a your Saturday morning with us. We really appreciate you calling in and listening to us and interacting with us. Sure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and we're going back to our phone lines with Caleb. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning, fellas. How y'all doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Wonderful. I got a 95 Jeep Wrangler four-cylinder. Okay. Kind of sat up for a little while. Just had to replace one of the front brake calipers was sticking. But mm-hmm. that is now my four-wheel drive light is stuck on. And I've jacked it up in the air. And, I mean, it's you know, only the back tires are spinning. Okay. So I know it's not in four-wheel drive. Is, is that a sensor in the transfer case? What year model is it, Caleb? 95. On a 95, I doubt seriously there's any kind of sensors on that one. More likely, it's a mechanical transfer case. Now, it's going to have something that locks the front axle in and out. And again, I'd have to check service data because I'm not familiar enough. Sometimes it had a vacuum-operated servo on the front. Sometimes it had a magnetic servo on the front. Some of them actually had mechanical hubs that you could lock in and out. But what you could do is you got it jacked up anyway. Go ahead and put it in four-wheel drive, crank it up, and see if the front drive shaft's turning or not. If the front okay. drive shaft is not rotating, then your problem's in the transfer case. If the front drive okay. shaft's turning, but the wheels aren't turning, then it's in the differential somewhere. And there's some kind of a mechanism that locks the wheel to the differential. And to save wear and tear, it unlocks it when you're not using four-wheel drive. So you right. just, if I had service data in front of me, I could look it up. It's just I don't got so old now, I start forgetting how all these old systems work, you know. Right. They use a hundred right. different... I'm just wondering if it's going to cause any damage if i drive it around it very well you know, may I would if it's probably, in a, if it's in a transfer case it very well may yeah i would probably want to find out what it is because there's like a washer that can break and that can throw some stuff out of mesh which could tear the whole transfer case up which is a relatively easy fix right now so i would at least get it diagnosed now if you get it diagnosed it's a major repair just ask the guy hey is this gonna hurt anything to drive it it may not like for instance if it's in front lock in and you're not using four-wheel drive Chance or just stay unlocked. It's just like it was driving down the road unlocked. No harm, no foul. So you just got to find out what it is. And I would think any decent shop could diagnose that in an hour or less, tell you exactly what it is. But if you jack it up and that front drive shaft is turning and the wheels are not turning, most likely you could drive it like that for a while without hurting anything because it's going to be something in the front lock-in. Okay. All righty. Wonderful. I certainly appreciate the information and appreciate your show. All right, Caleb. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we always love having you call and give us something to chit-chat about. Sure. Other than what we're chit-chatting about now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we can think of a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, but I've had so many people tell me I really like the callers. I like right. listening to their problems, and I like hearing things the solutions. about. Well, a lot of times, 
hey, I had the same problem, and I didn't realize da-da-da-da-da, or that's happened to my car before. So uh-huh. it brings up a whole lot of different things, and, and people just enjoy hearing from the caller. It throws a little, I don't know, a little variation into the show that okay. makes, makes it interesting. Yeah. At least I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so give us a call. It's 225 if you're outside our normal calling area, and 291-6901. And just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. It couldn't be much easier to, to take care of. That's right. They just send it on to us. We'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. Just each and every time. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Fernando from California. Good morning, Fernando. Good morning. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. Good morning. Um, before I go on with my question, I just want to say thank you um, for uh, answering my email. I sent you an email yesterday. And yes, I just sir. want to testify to everyone that it's 24 hours and many times much less. It, it <laughs> took you like less than like maybe like 10 hours to get back to me, and I, I thank you very much. Yes, sir. You bet. On my email, I, was, I asked you regarding uh, my 05 Tundra, which I just purchased uh, about three weeks ago. Yes, sir. And the code on um, PO430 was mm-hmm. has to do with the catalytic converter. Okay. And uh, I wanted to know, how do you test the oxygen sensors? Because on my other car, I took it to a shop recently. It had a code P0420. Mm-hmm. And I was told to, um, before like messing with the catalytic converter, because obviously it's very pricey, mm-hmm. I, was, I was told to just replace one of the oxygen sensors, mm-hmm. which I did, and now just got the code back. But I mean, instead of spending the amount that I did on the oxygen test, could the shop just have like done a simple test or no? Absolutely, yes, sir. The oxygen sensors are one of those things that anybody with a decent scan tool can read the pattern on. What an oxygen sensor does, it reads the amount of oxygen remaining in the exhaust, and it sweeps back and forth. Basically, it's 256 counts. 128 is the center of the range. So it's sweeping past center back and forth, back and forth, back and forth constantly. And they can read that very easily. Even without a scan tool, they can take an ohmmeter and they can do an ohm test to see if it's shorted or open. The way this system works and the way an oxygen sensor affects the catalytic converter is that there's a sensor before the converter. There's a sensor after the yeah. converter. Now, the way the test is executed is that the computer says, okay, we're going to test the converter. So what it does, it enriches the mixture slightly. So the oxygen and exhaust goes up. The upstream sensor should start pegging up on the rich side because it's reading this extra oxygen. The oxygen Mm -hmm. should be burned up in the catalytic converter. So the one on the downstream should stay just straight along the center line. It shouldn't also spike up. Now, what happens is that when the upstream sensor spikes up and the downstream sensor also spikes up, it knows the converter is bad and it throws a PO430 code. Now, the problem is this. What it does, it compares the two sensors. Now, let's say the front sensor is just sitting at one range and not moving when it richens the mixture up because it's not reading right. It compares Uh the front to the rear, and it reads the same, so it could throw a false PO430 code. So that's the way that can work. So you have to make sure that the sensor is working. But, again, that's pretty easy to do. I mean, they could just hook a scan tool to it, read the pattern. If they can't do that, I mean, they can pull a vacuum line off and watch it go to lean. I mean, the sensor's reading constantly. You can read it with a scan data, so it's really pretty simple. I would say you need to find another shop. Whoever told you that, that's just that's, that's, that's just such a rudimentary test. I mean, even a probably a six-month high school <laughs> auto shop guy ought to know that. You know? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's just such a basic, basic test. Okay, and what about testing the catalytic converter? I mean, is that another simple test to do? Well, it's a little more difficult. The simplest test they could do is what they call a thermal test, 
and that is the converter, if it's working, is going to be generating a lot of heat. And they could just take a scan gun, you know, a uh, infrared, infrared thermometer, thermometer, shoot right. an input and shoot an output. And if it's one temperature going in and it gets cooler as it comes out, well, then you know it's not working. Not a definitive test, but sure, it will tell you if it's completely dead or not. The other thing is you can okay. watch the two sensors. If you're watching the sensor and the upstream is bouncing up and down, the downstream is flatlined, then you know the converter's working. Because if not, they'd both be doing close to the same thing. So, yeah, again, fairly easy test. Not a real difficult thing to test. Okay, and so... I have 30-day warranty, but it's like I bought the truck in Southern California. I, I flew over there, um, and it's like almost the 30 days are almost up. Uh-huh. Um, what would you recommend I do? Like have it in paper? Or, I mean, I haven't given well, them a call. I just can't get it. You need to first off get it back to wherever you bought it and give them an opportunity to fix it because warranties are only good by the person who expresses a warranty. In other words, if it was mm-hmm. expressed in Southern California, you moved to Northern California, you may not be able to honor that warranty. You have to go back to the guy who expressed the warranty. Now, okay. being Southern California, they're pretty stringent on air quality. I would think yes. I would go back, let them see it. Chances are they'll say, hey, sorry you had a problem, put another converter and send you on your way. If they don't, call the air quality board and just report to them what you found. Just say, hey, look, I've just bought this truck. I had a 30-day warranty. My catalytic converter is below efficiency, which means my vehicle is now polluting. What are we going to do about this? And, I mean, they'll jump on them pretty fast. You also have what they call the BAR, the Bureau of Auto Repair in California, who can help you with that quite a bit as well. So you're fortunate from the respect that you're in California in that it's one of the most regulated states. If the good yes. news is it's a regulated state, right. the bad news is it's a highly regulated state. So, but I would think any legitimate shop is going to jump on that pretty quick because they definitely don't want to get crossways with the Bureau of Auto Repair or the Air Quality Board. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you guys very much. All right, Fernando. Thanks for calling, man. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. We always enjoy your calls and enjoy talking to you. Sure. And Fernando has written to me a couple of times over the years. You, you get to where you kind of recognize names and stuff when you answer a lot of email like I do. I've got folks all over the world. And uh-huh. Some of them I've actually become pretty good friends with, like John in Canada. John and I have corresponded back and forth about his car and other things it's just right he's a pretty regular caller here sometimes. yeah he also calls pretty regular but that's how we met was through the podcast and through the that's cool yeah we get a lot of email from all around the world We've got quite a few people in europe that write in pretty regular mm-hmm. three or four guys in the philippines yeah. i don't know if they're friends or not but they're all from manila and the manila area and okay. uh, they write in pretty regular as well but, yeah, it's amazing the technology today, how you can really just yeah, communicate with the world instead yeah, of just the guy right. across the street. That's absolutely right, which I think is one of the coolest things about it. Yeah. We were talking about modifications to your vehicle, and we were talking about wheels and right. such as that. And another problem with wheels is that not only do they have to be true and center up perfectly on the car, but there is what they call offset. Uh-huh. Offset is the relationship of the center of that wheel to the edge position of the tires on the wheel and if the offset changes it changes something in the front end called scrub radius that is the point at which the axis of the ball joints intersects with the axis of the center of the wheel right scrub radius is normally positive and you want it to be small but it has to have some that's what helps the wheels to return and gives you feel but if it gets excessive, you're going to pick up a tire wear issue that you can't fix with an alignment. Exactly. Because you've changed the alignment requirements, and you've changed them to something that's unknown. 
In other words, when the manufacturer designed the vehicle, they designed scrub radius, they designed roll center, they designed instant center, they designed steering axis inclination, included angle, all these things in, and they came up with a specification that would give good tire wear and proper handling at that setup. Mm -hmm. When you go in and you change one or more parts of that, now you've modified the requirements to something that you don't know. Right. And since you don't have a million and a half dollars worth of equipment and 15 engineers working for you and a test track and hundreds of tires you can go out there and wear out and see which one works, it's going to be real difficult for you to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so what you do is you take it to the alignment shop, he lines for an end and still wears tires. Well, you can't get mad at him because you've modified the car. Right. Now, what we have actually done at Anko, we just don't work on modified cars simply because I know that there's no answer there's no to fix. This. Yeah, there's no fix for this right. unless you just get lucky. Or if you have someone who's very, very understanding and is willing to go through a couple sets of tires to figure out what, under, what, right. he, what he's changed this to. But the point is, how important is it to you to get these different wheels or different tires on your car? Because it's not going to make the car handle better, contrary to common belief. Well, you start changing the offsets. The further you go out, the more stress you're putting on a suspension right. that is not designed for. It's designed for a certain amount of load, load a certain amount of offset on the wheel. Mm-hmm. But when you increase that, you start eating up wheel bearings you start eating up ball joints you start eating up arm bushings i mean everything in that front end is now extra stress because of the offset of that wheel right and one thing i hear all the time well i wanted more traction well you're not getting more traction because traction is a function of pounds per square inch of tread on the road you put more square inches without increasing the pounds and all you're doing is lowering the pounds per square inch right you're not gaining traction by putting a wider tire in fact if anything you may actually be lessening traction because a big tire can actually hydroplane easier than a smaller tire Mm -hmm. the tire that's engineered for the car is pretty much the optimum tire for that car for the most part right and if you just increase the width and you don't increase the weight of the car you're not increasing your traction so that's just something you you see these race cars these big wide tires but they have shifted the entire bias of weight to the back of the car Mm -hmm. they put a big battery back there they move stuff back to put the weight over those tires so they can get more traction and again they've re-engineered the entire car at that point we're going back to our phone lines john good morning john Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have an 07 Chevrolet Suburban okay. that I'm having a problem with my air conditioning. Okay. It was in the shop about a month ago, and a mechanic told me that, uh, well, first of all, he had to change the belt. Okay. The belt was broken. Uh-huh. And then it makes a grinding noise yeah. when you give it the gas. That makes total and, uh, sense. What happened, I'm going to tell you right now, John, the reason uh-huh. the belt broke, because uh-huh. belts don't just break, the reason the belt broke is because you have liquid refrigerant returning to the compressor. When yeah. that liquid refrigerant went through the evaporator core and went back to the compressor, it locked the compressor up, which broke the belt. It also yeah. damaged the compressor. So the noise you're hearing is going to be the damaged compressor at this point. They had okay. some trouble with that. Chevrolet had some trouble with that. Do all the blower speeds on your blower work fine? Yeah. Okay. Everything all works fine, good. and it cools really well. Yeah. Well, the good news is that's what's wrong. <laughs> the uh, bad news is you're probably in for a catastrophic failure in the fairly near future because the noise, that rattling, grinding noise here is going to be the compressor starting to come apart. Yeah. What you could do is evacuate the system, take the orifice tube out, and look and see if it's full of metal, then you know for sure. But yeah. that, that's well, almost always did, the case. He changed filters inside. I understand the filters inside the compressor. No, you got an orifice tube, and if it was plugged up, then you got a failure because there's nothing in that system that's going to plug the filter. In other words, that oh. filter, if it gets plugged, it's because something's broke down in the system. That's what plugged it. Yeah. So okay, you're so pretty much into a complete, you're going to be into a complete air conditioner replacement. Yeah, okay. 
Well, that's what I kind of suspect. <laughs> yeah, I, I and, and, and again, it's not his fault. He, he sounds like he's probably just not up on it quite enough. But when the belt broke, that's when the problem occurred. It just see the belt didn't just break. That compressor locked up when it did. That you got two hundred horsepower engine and you got a compressor pulling forty horsepower. It stopped all of a sudden. It broke the belt. If you look yeah. real careful at the little belt tensioner, you're probably going to notice a little aluminum ears are going to be broke off that tensioner also. Okay. Usually, well, when it slams over, it breaks those little ears off, right. and that's how you can always tell. But yeah, they've had some trouble with that on some of the GM products, and the the fix is going to be just like any catastrophic compressor failure. Yeah. Okay. All well, right. I'll get your help. Thanks. Okay, man. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. We're going to try to catch one more of these calls. We got John online. Good morning, John. Hi, it's John from Canada calling. Hey, we're talking about you earlier, man. I listened, I think. All right. No, I I uh, just wanted to, for the local people there to, because you don't toot your horn very much, and they really are lucky that they have you there, because I can't find anybody like you guys, and they really need to call you. The other thing I was going to suggest to you, and I don't I don't like to be critical at all, and not mm-hmm. really, but when somebody asks you, especially old people, where you're where you're located, take the time to tell them where you are, like a crossroad or something. Because I get up, those people have got to go in there. Like, like don't let them get away. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, we, I know we, you. We try don't, not, I know we you try not to toot our horn on the radio. So I, yeah, we're trying to get. I know so that's why. That's what I'm doing it for you <laughs> because I I appreciate what you do for us so much. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you again, and we'll talk to you again. All right, John. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for calling. Foxy says thanks okay. for the call too. <laughs> Okay. She plays with that every day. (laughs) Oh, that's great. I'll tell Christy. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That's John from Canada? Yeah, Ontario. Ontario. I can say Toronto. (laughs) You know, most Americans know less about Canada than know about the face of the moon. I I don't know know. what the deal is. I'm going to have to get a book on Canada and read all about it because it's a fascinating country. Yeah. Really super nice people. Beautiful, beautiful place. Oh, yeah. You get a chance to visit up there. But most Americans are totally ignorant of something so close. Well, it's amazing. It, it, close is a relative, <laughs> a relative term, term there. Well, yeah, cl- close compared <laughs> close to, to South Louisiana. Well, I mean, and uh, our world history. I know when I was in school, they taught us a lot about European history. Sure, and we learned a lot. But we didn't really learn much. We didn't about either. That. In fact, the average Canadian knows a lot more about American history than, than Americans. Right, right. That's right. So hitting that something. Yep. There you go. And of course, I've always been fascinated with history in general. So mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing: we were talking about modifications to vehicles. One last thing: I wanted to make a point because we're just about out of time, and that's these cold air induction systems that people are installing on their cars. Uh-huh. Number one, that is not going to do any good because there is an air intake temperature sensor, there is a barometric pressure sensor, there is two are an airflow sensor right. a map sensor and there are two oxygen sensors at least not four and the car is going to adjust to whatever you put on there right so you're not going to gain anything but what you have done is created a noisy problem that is a big maintenance issue and also possibly a fire hazard and it doesn't you, need to be and it's not going to help the car right. i know they're going to tell you it's going to do this it's going to do that it's going to do the other it's not going to you're not going to gain power you're not going to gain fuel mileage you're not going to gain any of the stuff right that, that, that computer sees how much air is coming in and it adjusts to the fuel from that amount of That's air exactly right and if you just absolutely got to do it one keyword save all your old stuff sure because that stuff's obscenely expensive to have to go buy whenever you start throwing a check engine light and, and have put to put it back, back together, <laughs> right so, the way it was before. Hold on to all your other old stuff. Hey, I see we're just about totally out of time. I want to start winding it on up. Out of time again, huh? That's it. <laughs> Always out of time, man. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, and if you 
your service offers a written rating, please give us one. That's right. It moves us up in the reviews, and that way more people can listen to us, and we don't have to quit doing the show because nobody's listening. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go.